Miss Leah and Miss Mara. As they go, keep your finger there if you had a Bible open already to Luke chapter 14. We've been in this series on the 40 days of prayer. We've talked about reawakening to the glory of Christ, reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, reawakening to the spirit of Christ, last week reawakening to the church of Christ, and today reawakening to the mission of Christ. And as we have been doing uh, these outlines so that we're um, sharing some of the same material and looking at the same concepts with others in our Alliance family, today's outline that has been Uh, shared with us is from Jim Sapia, so we're grateful for that and look forward to our time together here on week five of 40 Days of Prayer, Reawakening to the Mission of Christ. No doubt you have been a part of celebrations, wedding celebrations, family reunion celebrations where big feasts are put together um, and you're gathered in to celebrate something good. And On several occasions outside of this country, I've had opportunity to spend time, and as I've spent time in places like Mexico and Germany and a Central Asian country that used to be part of the Soviet Union, what was interesting is that in each place, though there was different language, though there were different customs, though the culture was very different, there was one commonality that I experienced in each of my Uh, each of those places in the time that I was there. And that was that any time there was a celebration, there was a feast prepared. There's this commonality that when there's something to celebrate, there's a feast that happens. There's a time that goes across cultures, that goes across languages, that goes across traditions, that when there's something to celebrate, when there's something joyous that's taking place, a feast is thrown. We gather together. And it's not just about the food. Ultimately, it's about the relationship and the reason that you're celebrating. You know, in the same way, and there are sermon notes in your bulletins, if you want to fill in some of the blanks and then add some extra notes that would be here on uh, the, the screen. In the same way, in the kingdom of God, there's this idea of the feast that keeps showing up. Banquets, feasts, wedding parties, they're places of celebration, and they're places of celebration in the kingdom of God as well. Back in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, we see an Old Testament picture of the future that God is preparing a feast of rich food for all people. In Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, The Lord speaks through Isaiah and says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Now understand, as you read this, you've had about 25 chapters of words of judgment and destruction because of the sins of the people. So there's this, in the midst of all this, there's this good news. Goes on, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. That's good news, isn't it? The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Whenever you see the Lord has spoken, You can take it to the bank. It will happen. And so in the midst of the darkness that Israel was 
about to experience, there's this word of hope, this glorious picture of eternal life that many commentators believe may be the clearest of all Old Testament pictures of the future of glory of heaven. Just like in Isaiah, God is also preparing a feast. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, John sees a vision of the wedding supper of the land when the people of God are given to their bride, Jesus. Jesus gets his bride, and there's a beautiful celebration between Jesus and his people. John says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of the Lord. This is kind of an a, uh, angel's way of saying the word of the Lord, the Lord has spoken. These are the true words of the Lord. This is what is going to happen. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Because God's table, whenever you see it, whenever you see these feasts, these celebrations spoken of in scripture about the Lord and what he's going to do, these parables that Jesus might speak about banquets. It's all about relationship, a relationship that unites, that connects, that, sal- that brings salvation between God and a people that he is redeeming. This is the context of this parable. And it is God's mission. It is the mission that God has been on since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the mission that he has been working on of bringing people back to himself and to his table in relationship, ultimately through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mission. And so this morning, as we look to reawaken to the mission of Christ, three lessons to look at. And the first is about us first. First is an invitation and the reminder that we are, you and I, are invited to the feast. Verses 15 through 20 again says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet. He invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Here's the invitation. You have been invited because God has prepared a place for you at his table. This is why we celebrate about the throne room. Because we have been invited to the table God desires for all people to be at the table. He desires for all people to be saved. Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He talked about God, the one who wants all men and women, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's the heart of God that all would come to the table. 
He's prepared a table, a banquet, a feast. And it's his desire that all would come. And friends, this morning, I don't know. I don't know if you've received that invitation. The invitation has been given. I don't know if you've accepted that invitation. I don't know if you have said yes to the invitation. The invitation is through Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for the feast. He's paid the price through his blood, through his death, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He's overcome the grave so that all those who believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And that life begins at the feast, at the table. So God's inviting you. And if you have not accepted that invitation, accept it today in Christ. Throw yourself upon the mercy of Jesus. God's inviting you to the table. But there's another level to this that he's inviting us into. He's inviting us also to know him much more in relationship. It's not just, oh, I prayed a prayer one time and one day I'm going to go to heaven. Here on this earth, he is inviting us in. One verse that we often hear is Revelation 3.20 when it comes to sharing the gospel, but it really isn't a gospel-sharing verse. It is a fellowship verse for the church of God. Revelation 3.20, here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is table language. This is feast language. This is fellowship, relationship, intimacy language. But it is written to the church. It is written to believers, those who have said yes to Jesus already. But Jesus is saying, hey, I am on the outside and I'm not in the room. That, that messes with our theology that, that Jesus may not be in the room of a church that sings about him. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so the question also is, is there anything in our lives that is hindering that intimacy, that relationship, that deeper fellowship, where Jesus may be on the outside, he may, be, he may fully have saved you. You may belong to him, but he's been knocking on the door of your heart, so to speak, and saying, hey, there's much more. Will you let me in? I want to come in and eat with you. I don't want to just get you to heaven one day. I want intimacy deeper and deeper with you. And so this is the invitation, and this is the joy of the feast. This is not just to get us to heaven one day. It's to have intimacy with him here and forever. In this passage, there are these three individuals who have excuses. Who have been given invitations to come to the feast, but they have excuses. That first one, he has a field. I want to go see it. Hey, who won? I just bought a field. I'd like to go check this thing out. Hey, I just got some new oxen. I want to go see how they work. Anything wrong with that? In and of itself? Go check the field out you bought? Go check the oxen you just bought. Nothing wrong with that. Here's the one that may mess with us even more. Hey, I just got married. I like to go hang out with my wife. And yet, all of these are excuses. They're good things. Good things that got in the way. 
If you look at verses 25 to 27 here in this passage, it says large crowds, verse, uh, Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be, disciple, be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39, emphasizes not the word hate, but loves more than me. Both places, it's the same, perp- it's the same um, teaching that he's given. That it would be, if I love my field more than Jesus, so that I reject the invitation. If I love my oxen more than Jesus, that I reject the invitation. If, dare I say, I love my wife or my children more than Jesus, that I reject the invitation. Good things become excuses that cause us to miss out on the feast. Or may cause us to miss out on intimacy with him here on this earth that he intends for us. See, good things can become obstacles and excuses to the best thing. It doesn't mean that you hate and despise and get rid of all these people. Jesus is saying that your love for him should look so great that in comparison, even the way you love your spouse, even the way you love your kids, even the way you go about your work, even the way you manage your finances, even the way you do all of these things, it looks like, man, you just don't care about any of that because Jesus, obviously you care about him. But when you get him right, then all those other things fall into right place. But if we try to get all those things and give them all of our attention, give them all of our focus, and then get Jesus, boy, we've missed it. He said, you, you've missed my invitation. If you try to get all that other stuff right, but don't get me right first, you may be really good husband or wife. You may be a good father or mother or grandfather or grandmother. You may be a good child to your, to your, children, or to your parents. You may be a really good employee, You may have given a lot, but if you don't have Jesus in his right place, all of that is just excuses for missing intimacy with him. And so the invitation is for the feast one day, but it's also for the feast of relationship with him. You know, Leah has said a number of times as we've been worshiping, as we've been singing, you know, the throne room several times this month, to come in that God is inviting us. I think one of the first Sundays of this series, I think the second one, that word of take a step, take a step in farther. And that may mean that some of these excuses are going to have to be put in their right place. That may mean fear. That, that may mean guilt and shame is going to have to be brought into the light. That may mean there are some sinful practices in your life that are getting in the way that you're saying, I don't want to go into the throne room because I know what I've been doing. Or it may be that those things of the past that I've stopped and I've asked for forgiveness, the guilt and the shame is still weighing on me and I don't want to go into the throne room because, boy, I'm going to be condemned. Those are things that Jesus wants to deal with with us in love because he wants us to come in and don't let those things be excuses. Don't let the things that may be uncomfortable or unfamiliar, don't let your preferences, don't let the ways in which, oh, I don't worship that way, keep you from the throne room. Because he's calling us in. He's calling us in. Don't let these excuses keep you from the table.
in all of this, there's blessing. You will be blessed. This is what this one who was at the table when he heard all this. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, future, and who is eating with him today. Blessed. Because in that blessing, there's adoption into his family. In that blessing, there's ongoing intimacy. In that blessing, there's ongoing transformation in Christ. In that blessing, there is the presence of the Holy Spirit. In that blessing, there is the love of the Father that is increasing, that we would know how high and how deep and how long and how wide is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. It never ends. There's blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So accept that invitation. Go deeper and deeper. Celebrate the feast. One day we're going to celebrate it when the dwelling of God is with man. But he's calling us deeper and deeper into that feast. And as Abraham was told, I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation. And so in that blessing, you will be a blessing. All of that blessing is so that you will able to be, be able to be secondly sent to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. You are sent to be a blessing. Look at what verse 21 says. It kind of shifts a little bit in this application. One from that servant who's giving us the invitation from the man, and the man who throws this banquet is God the Father. But the servant has been now flipped to where when you receive the invitation, now you become one of the servants who is sharing the invitation. You become one of the sent ones who is a blessing. And so we are, as sent ones, blessed so that we might bless others through invitation. Verse 21 again says, the servant came back and reported this to the master and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly out to the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bless others through the invitation. Friends, people need to be invited to the feast. People need to be invited to the feast. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and should be 15 on there as well. Paul says, how then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, our job, our job is not to pay for or to prepare the feast. Hear that. Our job is not to pay for in that our job is not to save people. Our job is not to prepare it. That's God's job. God has already paid the price through his son Jesus for the feast. And God is preparing a feast. That's his work. That's his work. Our job is not to pay for it, to save people. Our job is not to prepare it. Our job is simply to invite people to it. To invite people to the feast through Jesus. But if people aren't invited, if people don't know about the feast, then what Paul is saying in Romans 10 is how can they come? There's a group of people who were invited, but they didn't go because they had other things. Sadly, sadly, there will be people who you will invite to the feast who will not come. 
And that grieves our hearts. That grieves our hearts. But our job is that we would invite and invite until the very last moment that we would invite. You know, we've seen people who all their lives were invited to the feast. They had plenty of excuses and never came. But as they came to the end of their lives and they knew the end was near, they recognized, you know what? It's time to be done with the excuses. I need to accept this invitation. Now we would long and pray for people to know Jesus and to come to the feast at the first invitation. But our job is to continue to invite, continue to invite people to come as we have been blessed with the invitation and received it, to invite others to extend that invitation. But also in that invitation to bless all people, to not show favoritism. We read in the beginning of Luke 14 and verse 13, it says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Those who cannot repair you or repay you. Verse 21 again says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Same, same group of people. In other words, it's not just about the people who look good and have it together that get invited to the feast. Sometimes it's the most broken and the most desperate who are the ones who will accept the invitation. In Isaiah 58, it talked about what, talks about what true fasting is. It's about breaking the yoke of oppression. It's about feeding the poor and the hunger. It's about rebuilding the walls. That that's what true religion is. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the ministry of Jesus, he lived out Isaiah 58. I would encourage you to read over Isaiah 58. There's amazing ministry that God is calling his people to that goes past just the outward expressions, but the down in the trenches messy ministry with people who are physically broken but also spiritually and emotionally heartbroken. Because often it's the people on the margins, the people that society overlooks, the people that are rejected, the broken, the forgotten, the oppressed, they're the ones who most readily accept the invitation. Sometimes people ask, you know, why, why do people in third world countries, see more of the miracles, more of the miraculous. The only thing that I have come to is that they have nothing else to hold on to than the Lord. They've accepted the invitation fully. They're like, if I don't have him, I got nothing because I don't have a doctor to go to. I don't have medicine to fix me. I don't have anything. I, I just have him. And spiritually, emotionally, physically, it's often those on the margins, those who are the most desperate who receive the invitation. I do have to warn us, though, that when that group receives the invitation, The feasts don't usually look high class and black tie affair. And that's a good thing. You look at Jesus and you look at his ministry, it usually wasn't the put together people. 
put together people or the ones who tried to be put together were the ones that got angry at them. It was ones who recognized their brokenness, who received it. And so on the margins, we bless all people. You may be familiar, if you're, if you're newer to our church or to the Christian Missionary Alliance as a whole, um, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance is a man, a man by the name of A.B. Simpson. And A.B. Simpson had some amazing encounters with God. God worked powerfully in his life. But as he was growing in ministry, he had a very successful ministry in Louisville. It's not, from what I hear from Kentuckians, it's not Louisville, like I would say. It's Louisville. In Louisville, Kentucky which led him to the most prestigious church in New York City, Presbyterian Church in New York City. I mean, he had everything going ministry success-wise. But it was at the time in the late 1800s where Ellis Island was just being flooded with immigrants who were coming from all over, specifically at that time, mostly Europe. And they were coming without knowing the language. They were coming without possessions. They were coming often sick, from the travels across the ocean. They were coming, they were coming, they were coming, and no one was caring for them. And Simpson began to see the people on the docks and began to see the people on the streets, and he began to be burdened for them. And he went to his church, this very successful church, and said, we need to care for these people. And they said, no way. We're not letting those people in our church. It's shocking, it's sad But that was what happened. And so A.B. Simpson left all of that and he started his own ministry with nothing but some like-minded folks who said, we want all of Jesus and we believe he's for all the world and the world is coming to us and eventually went to the nations. But it was a story that was led because he understood It's not just about those who can repay me that I want to minister to. It's those who may not have anything to give back. It's the heart of Jesus. And so you and I were sent to be a blessing, inviting all people, but making sure that it's not just the people who we would be comfortable with, that we are inviting all people to come to the feast. Lastly, you're sent to be a blessing, but you're also called to go and to compel. To go and to compel. Verses 22 to 23 says, says, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. Listen to this phrase, but there is still room. What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. My version says, make them come in. Many says, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, we are called to go further. We're called to go further. Back in Luke chapter 13, verse 29, it says, people will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is after he's saying that the the children of Abraham, the Jews, many of them would reject him. But now he's talking about people from the north and the south and the east and the west, the distant lands. In other words, he's saying there's going to be Gentiles who are going to come in. That's not, it's going to be for Jew and for Gentile. 
that all people will come. And so there is the need to go everywhere. For this to be reality, we have to be people who are called and who go to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they were, in Judea and Samaria, in the surrounding area, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24.14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then... And then the end will come. So we are called to be people who go further. This is being done. This is being done. And for the role that you have played, we say thank you. I just want to share a short video from Dr. Stumbo, who is the president of the Alliance, uh, with a few stories of testimonies of the ways in which going further God has moved and worked. Watch a short video. Alliance family, thank you. Even in the midst of the challenges of this past year, we've been able to send 50 new workers to the least reached place in the world, and you're part of that sending team. Bless you, thank you, and here's some stories now of what God's doing around the world. Thank you, Alliance family, for partnering with Hands of Honor, a common ministry that's near and dear to my heart. Nine years ago, you helped us launch this ministry to be a voice of change and hope for vulnerable teen girls in our communities across West Africa. This year we celebrate that Dana and several other girls found new life in Jesus. Dana is from a people group that is 100% unreached, and despite facing significant persecution, even to the point of death, she's refused to convert back to the prominent religion. She's begun to write worship songs in her mother tongue, and Jesus is calling her to reach her own people. The odds are against this formal child labor, but she is determined, and we will be with her each step of the way. Thank you, Alliance family, for opening the door so that three million unreached peoples have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Over the last eight months, we've implemented a project for parents with kids with autism in the Middle East. It may be one of the first parenting courses like this in the entire region. In the process, we've seen hope being poured into families. We've seen parents being able to find and unlock giftings that they never knew their kids had. Thank you for partnering with us in this endeavor. It is making a difference like you can't even imagine. Thank you, Alliance family, for partnering with the Vision Dominican Republic. Because of your prayers, giving, and even volunteering of your time to come help us, we've been able to open up a student center and cafe in the University Zone here, where we train local and American leaders who have a heart for missions. We're going to be able to share the gospel with over 100,000 students who come to study here. A building that was once known as a brothel has been given new life We've been able to connect with people coming to English groups, have good conversations about Jesus, share scripture with them, pray with them, and we want to thank you for the valuable part that you play in it. Because of you, when this country was hit hard by the pandemic, our team was able to show God's love in very tangible ways to orphans, families, and widows by donating food, clothing, medicine, and even toys. Even when our team was in serious lockdown, local believers with special work passes were able to partner with us and deliver our contributions. Thank you from our team and from so many of the vulnerable in this country. Because of you, Pastor Nathan was able to go into an unreached area of migrant workers and they began to worship together. He realized they worked at a brick factory seven days a week. Because you gave money, they were able to build a new brick factory. That brick factory is now producing 15,000 bricks a month. They have a benevolent fund to help their kids' education and to help other people who are in need. 
and they pay Pastor Nathan $30 a month towards his ministry. And now an industry that once enslaved people is being used for the spread of the kingdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So thank you. Thank you for the ways that in your giving and your praying that you are allowing the work of the kingdom, the invitation to the feast to go further. And so even here as we wrap up here at home, that we are called to not only go further, uh, but we could go to the next slide, that we are called to go and compel, that we are called to go and compel. Because there's a lot that is still left. There are people who have not yet been invited to the feast. The word compel, which I read in my NIV translation, make them come, is very similar to the word implore. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word implore has that idea that we should be so burdened by the need that it invokes tears in us and that it spurs us on to action, that we are literally almost at the feet of people saying, please, please accept the invitation. Accept the invitation to this. Jesus, whenever he would heal There were many times in the Gospels where it would say Jesus was filled with compassion and then he begins to heal and then he would speak the message out of healing. But that word for compassion was, it was brought almost to the place of where he was sick to his stomach because he saw he was so moved by the need. And so this idea of of going and being compelled, of imploring others, is that we are so motivated by the lostness of people. We are so motivated by their need to accept the invitation to the feast here, around us, and to the ends of the earth, that we can't help but say, "I, I have to. This isn't something that I should do. It's something I have to do. I'm moved even to the point of tears. I implore you on behalf of, of Christ to be reconciled to God. You know, out of inviting, out of receiving that invitation of being invited, out of going deeper and deeper into the throne room of God, into that intimacy and fellowship, that's where that comes from. It's not something that we just should do. It's not something that I want to implore you. I'm compelled to do. It's out of the times with him that we're saying, oh, that others would know what I have come to know of the feast. And so we are compelled. We go, we're compelled, we implore people, come to the feast. Come to Jesus. In closing and summary, and then we'll close in prayer. Friends, remember, God desires everyone everyone to be at the feast, including you. And so this morning, if you have not received that and accepted that invitation, maybe there's been some of those excuses and you've said, I gotta go do this, that, that. Receive it. And if you have received it already, but there's been some things that have been standing in your way from going deeper into the, the presence of Jesus, into that intimacy with him, 
cast those aside and say, Jesus, today I want to come nearer and nearer to you. God calls and desires everyone to be at the feast, including you. When we receive it, he calls us then to take that message everywhere to the broken. And he calls us to take that message even to the ends of the earth. We continue to share it here in our community. And we want to grow in that more and more. Those bags are opportunities for you to, to share that with others. May we go here, there, and everywhere. The good news of the message. Because we've been given a mission. We've been given a mission, the mission of Christ. So Father, we thank you for your invitation. We look forward to the day when the dwelling of God will be with men. When that prophesied feast will take place from Isaiah 25 and the wedding supper of the Lamb will take place. Lord, we look forward to that day. But may we grow in our fellowship with the one who gives life, you, Jesus. And out of it, may it reawaken us more and more. May it compel us, may it drive us to share that invitation simply welcoming people because there's still room. Lord, I can't get past that line in the parable. I've invited all of these, but there's still room. Jesus, until you come back, there's still room. There's still room. I thank you that you're a God who has room left. Thank you for including us in that invitation. And thank you for entrusting us with that servant's work of inviting others. Use us, I pray. Reawaken us to the mission of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.